folks, welcome back to Lords of Order, a DC's Doctor Fate fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore. This is the anniversary episode 125 of the show. And so, well, to be honest with you, I don't really feel like doing anything different. We'll just mosey on doing what we have been doing talking about the adventures of Dr. Fate now as he has crossed over into the Silver Age of comics, Um, most frequently as he is part of the JSA from Earth-2 as they interact with the JLA of Earth-1. Although, with that in mind, this particular story comes from The Flash. But first, a little bit of business. If you want to send any feedback Teal Productions is on Twitter. That's the fastest way to get in touch with me. I post the episodes there. Teal Productions and Lords of Order both have pages on Facebook if you're over there. The Dr. Fate Fan Podcast at gmail.com is the email address. Bigtimenoise.com slash Dr. Fate is the website. And we have forums at justanotherfanboy.freeforums.net should you be excited by that. Now, the 1959 volume of The Flash, issue 170, cover dated 1967, is what I've been looking at. The story is entitled, The See-Nothing Spells of Abracadabra. And this was brought to us by Gardner Fox as the writer, penciled by Carmen Infantino, and inked by Sid Green. Um, Any other creatives seem to be up in the air as to exactly who would have done those colors and letters. Um, So, don't really know that for sure. Now, you can find the book uh, if you can't find the actual issue, which I'm sure is pretty pricey being, what, 70, 50, over 50 years old. So, you can find this in the DC Special Series number 24 from 1977. Crisis on Multiple Earths, The Team-Ups, Issue 2 from 2005. DC Comics Classics Library, The Flash of Two Worlds from 2009. Showcase Presents The Flash, Issue 4 from 2007. The Flash, The Silver Age Omnibus, Issue 3 from 2017. Or The Flash of Two Worlds Deluxe Edition from 2020. So there's a variety of different ways you can run into it. Now, looking at the cover here, we see that the Flash is saying, Things sure are quiet in town tonight. Might as well turn in. And the narrator here is telling us, Unbelievable. The see-nothing spells of Abracadabra. Which, as I indicated, turns out to be the title of the story. The image itself, uh, Flash is running, not quickly, quickly, because he doesn't have all the speed lines. But you can tell by his body position that he's running. But behind him... There's an armored car that has been trashed by another vehicle, and the two are on fire. We have a couple 'er ne'er-do-wells here slugging it out via automatic weapons, and a host, uh, five or six guys here, slugging it out with fisticuffs. All uh, the, The Flash is completely oblivious to all of it as he has run past or through, you know, all of that. Now, the story opens, or although I'm sorry, let's step back here. The splash page, uh, we have a bar here at the top indicating speak no evil, see no evil, hear no evil, as each sense is covered by the hands, a la, um, typically I see monkeys, you know, three monkeys lined up doing this, covering various parts of their face to indicate that. 
And again, see nothing spells of abracadabra. We have a gentleman here who self-identifies as abracadabra, and he is zapping Flash with a green ray that he's emitting from his finger. And the abracadabra is telling him, the name's abracadabra, Flash, but you can't see or even hear me. And Flash is saying, gasp, somehow I can't, or excuse me, someone I can't see, constricting my uniform, crushing me to death. And the narrator tells us, such is the terrible fate that falls upon the fastest man on earth. He cannot see any crooks. He cannot even hear them. And even if he should arrest them, he would be unable to testify against them. Flash's value as a superhero has become nil. Now, the most interesting thing about the page to me is that Abracadabra is self-identifying when we know that the Flash knows who Abracadabra is. Um, actually, just six or seven issues ago was their last confrontation that ended up with Abracadabra being imprisoned in his, um, what was it, 64th century prison? So, And his his thing is that in the 64th century, science is so advanced and Abracadabra has such a command of that science that when he comes to the uh, backwater 20th century, his science appears as unto magic to us. But it's not magic. It's actually science. Uh, they just don't typically explain it. They just do it. Now, the story opens at the Central, Civi Central City Civic Center. Wow, mouthful there. After a production of A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, we see Barry and his wife Iris there post-show hurrying backstage because Iris wants to meet a former classmate, Margot Tyler, who played the role of Allison in A Connecticut Yankee. And for those that know the play, I'm familiar with it, but not I haven't seen it. I just know of it by name. So you know the, the character. Barry, though, was impressed by the gentleman who is playing Merlin the Magician in the play. And he sees him backstage and is introduced to John Cardine, I believe is how you'd pronounce it. C-A-R-D-I-N-E. I, -E. I want to say it Carradine, uh, but that other A is not in there. So I guess it's Cardine. So Barry introduces himself and, and they're speaking. When suddenly uh, Barry hears very loudly, the narrator tells us a voice booms loud in Barry Allen's ears. I'm happy to see you here, Flash, but don't worry, I won't tell the world you're Barry Allen. Not yet. And it's so loud that Barry is looking around expecting other people to be reacting to him because they must have heard it also. But no one else heard it except he. So he determines it must have been some sort of uh, psychic psionic, or something like that, to where only he heard it. He side-eyes Cardine because he just played a magician in the play, so he's thinking, well, perhaps he has real abilities of that nature, and, and maybe it was him. But the actor doesn't give anything away or any indication that he had anything to do with it. So then automatically Barry goes, his mind goes to magic and who he knows and abracadabra. And here he tells us that he is back in the 64th century in prison. So Barry and Iris finished, well, excuse me, no. Iris tells Barry that he can leave if he wants to, that she, Iris, and Margot are going to uh, girl it up somewhere and just catch up. So 
He takes the opportunity to go on patrol as the Flash. Flips out his uniform from his handy-dandy ring here, which I always thought was really cool. He hides it in his ring, and it's spring-loaded and shoots out the uniform that, upon contact with air, uh, enlarges to be the correct size. And then when he's done, he can reverse the process into his ring. Uh, to me, that's always been one of the cooler uniform uh, concepts of, of comic books. I, I always really like that. So he goes on patrol. Decides he's going to follow this Cardine dude because he's, for whatever reason, still not convinced. I guess because Abracadabra has to be in prison, right? Which we know in comic books, when you think the bad guy is at uh, place A, he, he's always at place B in reality. So uh, that may be the case here. Not giving anything away yet. So Abracadabra is there, so he can't have done this, but... Cardine maybe did it, I guess. So he's going to follow him. And he follows him to the Ceramics Castle, which this is after hours, so it's closed, but he's able to walk right into it. And when he goes in, he doesn't see Cardine, but he does see a group of thieves helping themselves to the priceless ceramics that are contained within the Ceramics Castle. So he goes about a several panel, several page uh, uh, beat him up of the thugs using his flash powers in several different ways. Speed punching, uh, whirling his arm around vertically, causing a, a vortex to hold someone aloft. Running quickly back and forth, knocking guns out of hands and knocking out bad guys. And then the horizontal twirling of his arm that causes all of the men to... Uh, be thrown together and essentially knocking each other out. Afterwards, he escorts all four men. Curiously, uh, I'm not sure how he had the wherewithal to do that or, or why the men would go along with it. But he herds them all to the police station. And an interesting aspect of the um, art and the storytelling in this issue, but probably, I suspect, because of how it's done in other Silver Age, Gardner Fox, Flash uh, probably also Carmen Infantino flash stories. There's a narrative box that says something, or or it takes the place of you as the reader, says something, and it points with a, a cool finger. Look at this. How about that? What do you think about this? And there's one here on page mm, seven, I guess, of the book. I don't, it's not numbered. Uh, I think it's seven, six or seven. And it just say, who he? And it's pointing to someone over in the shadow that's all darkened. You can see uh, probably a man, although it's say who he. It says who he. Um, kind of in shadow, watching Barry as he's uh, pimp marching the bad guys into the uh, police station. So he turns them over, and the owner of the ceramic castle runs up and wants to reward the Flash. He gives him a, a medallion of some sort. He, uh, yeah, just calls it a medallion. And the narrator tells us, for a single moment, the scarlet speedster drops his eyes to the medallion in his palm. And we have another narration box with the, with the pointies. One hand is pointing at the flash at the top of the box, and the bottom of the box is a hand pointing to the medallion that we can see in Flash's hand. And it tells us, uh-oh, you shouldn't have done that, Flash. You took the bait and are hooked. So he looks at the device, uh, doesn't really see what it is, 
and then uh, a little, I don't know, some, some kind of weirdness going on here because the next panel shows him outside, right, uh, holding the medallion. And then the next panel after that shows Barry inside speaking to a judge. And it tells us that he enters the police station. So he's in in one, two, three, f- let's see, four, five panels. He's outside marching the perps into the police station, talks to the ceramics castle owner inside, presumably, notices the medallion inside, is then outside and um, doesn't realize why he's outside, actually, it's, he says here. And then the next panel, he's back inside. So I had some... Uh, scene jumping there that kind of was a little bit disorienting for me anyways you'll pardon me too if i sound kind of stuffy or whatever and i'm making i'm trying not to make too many noises but i seem to have a head cold this nice uh, wintry day and it's kind of affecting me as i sit here speaking so barry is talking to the judge and all of a sudden he doesn't really know why he's there uh, but he doesn't have anything to add to why these bad guys are here. Um, I don't remember why I brought them in. I don't have anything bad to say about them. I, I, I don't really know what's going on here, Your Honor. He you know, basically says, I, I'm sorry. And so he apologizes to the judge, apologizes to the bad guys, and everybody walks outside all happy, cheery, and everything. And Barry is in the midst of being very, very confused about you know, the past couple minutes, what is going on? Why am I here? What am I doing? What is this? Outside, um, we see that he is still being watched from outside by the same uh, fedora-wearing gentleman. Another little pointy box says, uh, to repeat, who he? With a finger pointing to the gentleman. Um, Several, the next several panels have similar with other unknown guys. Uh, The next panel the box tells us, you say you want more for your money? Tell you what we're going to do. Here are two more mystery men to wonder about. So that's a total of three now that are watching him. Next panel, as Barry is walking, well, excuse me, he's not Barry. He's the Flash still. He's dressed, um, is walking around. We have another one of the pointy boxes that tells us, you think Flash has troubles. How about Artemis Jackson, who is being held up at gunpoint at this very moment? And then in the box, we see that that is what's occurring. Flash is walking. The gentleman being held up tells the thug, you know, oh, you better run. There's there's Flash, you know, as he's because the thug is facing the citizen and looking past the thug. The citizen can see Flash walking past the opening of the alley that this is occurring. And so he's telling him, oh, you better watch out. The Flash is behind you. And the, the bad guy's like, Yeah, obviously, because if it was the Flash, he would be doing something. Till finally he turns around and he does see the Flash and starts giving these really funny excuses for what he's doing. I I was checking serial numbers to see if this man won a newspaper contest. (laughs) You know, would you believe I bet him he didn't have a $5 bill in his wallet? I mean, he's just, you know, popping out excuse after excuse. The Flash just walks on by because as far as he's concerned, as we find out, Nothing is going on. There's just two men interacting with each other. He doesn't see anything evil. He doesn't hear anything evil. Moving on down the street here as he's just moseying on, oddly enough. I'm not really sure why, but Gardner, I'm sure, had in his mind why. That's what Flash is doing. We see 
a group of, um, don't know how many necessarily, four or five bad guys in a sedan crash into an armored vehicle to rob it. Seeing that the Flash isn't paying any attention to them, they proceed to do just that. A little bit farther on down the road. Man, Central City is really crimey. You know, I mean, you had the ceramics robbery. You had this dude holding up dude in the alley. You have these dudes crashing the armored vehicle. Now there are two rival gangs that are driving in their sedans, shooting each other up, right? Back and forth, a, a, a running gunfight. Uh, the Flash just doesn't pay any attention. Actually, he crosses the street in front of the sedans, uh, walking at a normal pace, I may add. And they decide, oh, no, you know, oh, there's the Flash. We better quit. And they see that the Flash doesn't do anything, so they proceed to continue. Wow, is Central City in for trouble? If Flash can neither see nor hear criminals, but read what happens as the story continues on the fourth page following, the narrator tells us. Now, uh, we have a series of ads here that I, I really dig for some reason. I, I'm not sure why. I guess because I don't see it this way in contemporary books. Um, this is a definite Silver Age. Well, in, in my categorization, I, I guess, 1967 is Silver Age in my mind. Um but the ads are just really cool. There's an ad for the Justice League of America, another one for Showcase Presents that uh, is talking about the Maniacs. Never heard of the Maniacs. And a little ad here for um, adding springs to the pedals in your models so that the pedals, the gas and brake pedal, spring back and forth. And this is given to us by Caps Hobby Hints, um, Caps National Comics. Yeah, so... Um, then we have some letters pages here, an ad for the Superboy number 138, it looks like, 80-page giant, maybe 136. I didn't look that up, uh, which is on sale March 14th. So apparently this book came out that I'm looking at prior to March 14th, maybe a week before, which, interestingly, uh, okay, let me try that again. Interestingly enough, March is the month of my birthday. So this was the year, almost a year exactly before my birthday. Ah, small world. The See Nothing Spells of Abracadabra Part 2. Like a man bereft of his senses, the fastest man on earth races along Central Boulevard. He hears nothing except his own voice, the chatter of submachine guns, the raucous shouts of robbers, the cries of helpless victims all go unheeded. So we see that he is running on patrol, which this panel has him in a position of running. Uh, the previous, it really looked like he was walking. So here we have the uh, thugs who have knocked over the armored car. Well, this is actually a very close reproduction of what the cover is. We have the armored car heist, people beating each other up in the street, and a running gun battle between automatic weapon-wielding ne'er-do-wells. Next, we uh, see the three mystery gentlemen who apparently are following the Flash. So if he is running, he's not running that quickly because these three dudes that we saw at the police station are still able to follow him. But we see that someone is breaking into a jewelry store. And apparently they have seen everything else that is going on and now someone breaking into the jewelry store. And so they're speaking among themselves. This is worse than we thought. Second man, maybe we better interfere to stop this wave of lawlessness. Third guy. No, we don't dare take a hand yet. 
we must wait until we get Flash alone in private. Also watching is someone remotely viewing on a television screen. It turns out to be the dude that was uh, in charge or the owner of the ceramics shop that we see. And the next panel, though, we see his face changed to the face of John Cardine, changed to the face of now Abracadabra, criminal genius of the 64th century, whose future science enables me to function in this 20th century as a great magician, he tells us. Uh, then we flash back to Abracadabra's most recent time in the 64th century, when he was in prison. Uh, he has been put in an escape-proof or he, he has an escape-proof robot as his cellmate. And Abracadabra tells us that escape-proofers can't be bribed, and they sound an alarm if an escape attempt is made, making the uh, pair foolproof. Uh, the, the bad guy cannot get away with this robot. So we then see the story of how Abracadabra goes through a series of interactions with his cellmate that finally allows him to escape his 64th century prison. Uh, takes up about, about two pages of the book here, telling us his uh, immediate backstory. Then we come to the present, where Abracadabra, well, it's not the present. It, it's it's now, but it, it is uh, some amount of time before the action that we're actually seeing in the book. So it is the current year, but some time frame before the comic, because Abracadabra is trying to catch up on his good buddy, The Flash. So he has interacted at least once, probably several times with The Flash, and he knows he's in the 20th century. He must know that he's around Central City, perhaps, and so that's would put him in Central City, and he's looking to mess with The Flash. Um, there's a they're casting a Civic Center production of a Connecticut Yankee. What a tremendous Merlin I would make. So this is, wow, this is before the production. This is before practices. This is a casting call for the upcoming production that our story started with Barry and Iris going to see, which, you know, with productions of that nature, they are multi-night, multi-month, potentially multi-year productions. So we saw Abracadabra in the past, and now he is in the present, but we don't know at what point in the present, just before the start of the comic. So he decides that he's going to uh, try out for this Merlin, and then we, we catch up slowly as he has become the Merlin character. We see his meeting with Barry as Cardine, and we find out that Abracadabra has a ring a detector ring, which will alert me to his presence whenever he comes within 50 yards of me. That is the flash. So at the meeting backstage after the performance, his ring tells him that this person, I guess first that the flash is there, and then as Barry meets him, uh, kind of like uh, Spider-Man's Spidey Sense, and I apologize for those of you um, who are in the midst of that Marvel DC battle and everything, all that stuff. But most of my experience reading has been Marvel. I've been a Marvel zombie for years. It's just very recently and in limited bites that I have become a DC fan. But it's growing on me, so don't don't count me out quite yet. Uh, but the ring vibrates a la Spider-Man's Spidey Sense, telling him, in this case, that the Flash is there. And then I guess the closer the Flash is to him, the more it indicates. And so he 
sussed that this Barry Allen that he met was the Flash. Moving on, we see that now as Abracadabra, he is viewing the Flash on a uh, remote viewing screen as he's going through town, paying no attention to all this lawlessness that is going on around him. Till finally, uh, Barry gets home and he's about to go in the house, but then he realizes, uh, wait a minute, I can't go in like this. Iris knows Barry. Iris doesn't know the Flash, and I'm dressed as the Flash, so I need to, you know, switch out real fast. And here is the the cool a uh, cool panel showing that reverse of the Flash uniform being drawn back into the ring. Again, I, I just, I think that's so cool. So Barry Allen walks into his house, and lo and behold, he is met by, as he says, Dr. Fate, which is the whole reason we're talking about this book. See, if I, I, you stuck with me long enough until now we finally have Dr. Fate. Sorry that it took 25, 30 minutes, but we're finally there. Flash of Earth 2, Dr. Midnight, what brings you here? And these are all JSA members from Earth 2. Um, Barry, uh, Barry Allen, this Flash being on Earth 1. So that's there's a long story there. We had to see you alone, Barry. Something terrible is happening on our Earth, Flash of Earth 2 tells him. So then the three heroes uh, catch Barry up on what they know, and that is that these bad things are going on and you're not paying any attention to them. Uh, so something is wrong with you. They did notice that something back on Earth 2, that something was going on in the future of Earth 1. Uh, what is it? An evil emanation extending through all space and time, Dr. Fate uh, susses out here. And using a, a scrying ball, he determines, narrows down what's going on. Central City, Earth 1. Hey, that's where the Flash is, so we need to go visit the Flash and try to help him try to get to the, the root of what this evilness is. So Dr. Fate goes to get some help at JSA headquarters and finds... No, I'm sorry, not JSA headquarters. He goes to speak to Earth 2's Flash because he knows that he needs to interact with Earth 1's Flash. And he figures that of anybody, Jay Garrick, Earth 2 Flash, knows Barry Allen Earth-1 Flash the best, so he goes to elicit some help from him. Lo and behold, Dr. Midnight is already there interacting with Jay Garrick as it is. So the three decide to go find out what's going on, potentially help Earth-1 Flash Barry Allen. So they get here, and they catch him up. We've been following you. Da -da -da -da. So now we're caught up to now once again. Dr. Fate checks with uh, with Barry mystically trying to figure out why he can't you know why why the see no ear evil hear no evil kind of thing is going on he can't figure anything out um, there's nothing for him to unmagic because abracadabra uses science not magic and so it's not anything that dr fate could affect so there there is a nifty uh, caveat I guess um, MacGuffin, although I don't think MacGuffin's the right word, but that's something cool about Abracadabra is that truly it's science, it's not magic, so magic won't help. So they, um, Dr. Fate casts around and sees that Abracadabra is involved in some uh, theft of gold artifacts at, mm, it doesn't tell us, uh, we'll say a museum perhaps. So that's where 
our three JS Ayers and the Flash of Earth One need to go. That's where Abracadabra is because they they don't have as much knowledge about the bad guys of Earth One, but with everything that was said, Barry put together what was going on with Abracadabra as the most likely culprit. So that is who they are now looking for. So our JSAers go to stop these uh, thieves of the gold artifacts. And we have another break in the story where we see some more ads. Um, we have an ad for a Batman issue three. Yeah, I can't tell. 391, 291, 391 sounds awful high. Um, Ride the high seas with Boderific, an ad for some toys that are powered somehow, and they can actually float and propel in water. And then more letters, pages, and we get back to See Nothing Spells of Abracadabra Part 3. As the combined superheroes from two Earths thunder into the room with the golden loot, only Flash of Earth 1 is visible. The other Flash vibrates invisibly as a mantle of magic conceals Doctor's fate and midnight. So, the thugs stealing the gold artifacts see only Barry Allen. The other JSA members of Earth 2 are there, but they're invisible. So, as... Barry Allen Flash goes to attack the thugs. Jay Garrick Flash is telling Barry, you don't have to see anybody, Flash. I'll be your guide. Because, now, see, this is this is kind of curious here. Not only does the see no evil extend to or um, encompass not seeing evil acts, apparently Barry doesn't see people perpetrating those acts either. So if you are doing something evil, you're completely invisible to the Flash, which I guess that makes sense. I didn't really think about that in that he didn't pay attention to the dude being mugged, uh, the cars shooting each other, the armored car crash, the people shooting each other with automatic weapons, all of these things. He didn't pay any attention. So all of those people, the cars, everything was invisible to Barry. That's Wow. Okay. So now Barry is being helped in various ways. Jay Garrick is physically directing him. We have Dr. Midnight who throws a blackout bomb that uh, distracts some of the thugs so that the, the physically directed Barry Allen, with the help of Jay Garrick, can knock them out as he's running around. Off to the side, Dr. Fate is trying to subdue some of the other thugs by animating some of the statues here. Um, in the midst of all this, we have another indication of something that I am not familiar with, and it's a cryotuber that I believe Dr. Midnight wields. I brought this up last episode, too. Um, I really need to catch up on some DC, because I have never heard of the cryotuber that Dr. Midnight uses. Off to the side, um, we see that Abracadabra is watching, which is who they're after. So now we finally see that he is on site as well. I guess directing the thugs is what to do, or maybe he's going to come up behind after they've gotten what they want and get something else. Not not really sure what the relationship is between the bad guys, or the, the thugs, the street bad guys, and Abracadabra. But he is watching the Flash uh, subdue these bad guys, and he's wondering, well, how can he do this? Because he's not even supposed to see them. The JSA members, 
um, Flash, Dr. Fate, and Dr. Midnight are all invisible to Abracadabra as they are to the bad guys, the, the street thugs that are stealing the things. So we see some more um, action from Dr. Midnight doing some stuff. And the more that is going on, the more Abracadabra is um, wanting to think that, huh, my casting my science, okay, because it's science, not magic, uh, my, my altering the perceptions of Barry Allen have given him additional powers. So in, in taking away these senses, other senses much, must have elevated, and he is doing these things that he's never been able to do before. So perhaps I am now, I being Abracadabra, the cause of Barry Allen Flash having more superpowers than he had before. So he's watching all this go down, and he's starting to rethink this. And so he un whammies the flash so that he can see and hear and taste and feel and whatever evil and at that point barry allen flash is completely back to his normal self he sees the bad guys he sees abracadabra sees everything that's going on and so now he joins in barry allen uh actively trying to take out the bad guys and trying to take out abracadabra the JSA members kind of take a backstage now as Barry subdues the bad guys and finally subdues Abracadabra. Speaking with Barry and speaking with Abracadabra, Dr. Fate now realizes, oh, that's why I didn't detect any magic whammies on you because he uses science. He doesn't use magic. I get it now, which... Of course, we knew from the beginning because of the constant speaking of Abracadabra that what he does is due to science, not to magic. Um, Barry tells them that he will take Abra back using his cosmic treadmill, which is another cool aspect of the Flash that I really dig. And the JSA members say that they will go back to their place. I'm not sure how they got there. I don't know if it was, I guess maybe it was Dr. Fate's magic, magic them. Yeah, I'm sorry. Cause uh, yeah. So Dr. Fate takes the JSA members back to earth too. And the story ends with Barry going home just as Iris arrives home also from her night out with Margot. And uh, she, Iris knows that she was with Margot and Barry is just now showing up. She's, she asks, you know, uh, what what you been up to tonight, dog? And he says, well, you know, actually, I met some old friends also and spent the night with them, you know, talking and catching up. And she says, well, you need to introduce me to some of your old friends. I would I would like to meet them. And he's like, yeah, he thinks I will when I tell you I'm Flash and that there's other Earths and that there are heroes there and, you know, all of all of the backstory that we're already aware of. The end of our story, but not of the ads. We have an ad for Superman 196 here. That's a half-page ad. All of these ads for books that I've mentioned have been half-page panels uh, advertising the book. We have an, a listing for Direct Currents, which tells all the little blurbs about uh, the books coming out. The one that caught my eye, uh, Joe, if you listen, Kurt, if you listen, you may be interested. The fighters who break all the rules, hunters, hellcats, break their way into a prison to pull off the surprise mission of the war. 
join Our Fighting Forces number 107 on sale March 16th. So that jumped out at me during this November War Comics month, as it were. And so there ends the Flash issue with our adventures of Dr. Fate that we're following along with. Nothing really to add, um, so I guess I'll just end by saying that uh, next time out, episode 126, I'll be looking at the Justice League of America, the 1966 volume, issue 64, which is the first of the next JSA-JLA crossover, 64 and 65 issue numbers will be that story. So I'll talk to you guys next time. Ciao.